Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. If you are joining us at our Banta campus, Franklin campus, Garfield Park campus, or you're watching online somewhere across the Midwest or even across the United States, and we know we have some international watchers as well, welcome, and of course, welcome everyone here at Greenwood as well. We're in a series right now called The Art of Living, and if this is your first time tuning in uh, on this series or to the church, let me give you a quick synopsis of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. We've been saying that life is a lot like art. In other words, when you look at beautiful art, behind that beautiful art, there is an artist who has incredible skill. And they've honed it and worked it and grind, you know, uh, just been practicing for a long time. And then they produce this wonderful painting or this poem or this piece of literature or this song or whatever it is. Well, life is a lot like that. When you see someone who's living a great life, a life that is, is worthy of admiration, Uh, someone who's making a difference in their community, someone who's building a great family, someone who has a marriage worth emulating. What you see behind that life is some great skill. They didn't just haphazardly, you know, fall into a great life. And I'm so thankful that God has given us a book of the Bible called Proverbs, where basically they're filled with a bunch of these life skills. In fact, it's written from a father to a son or father to a bunch of sons. And the, the purpose of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3, is to show his sons how to live disciplined and successful lives, how to do what is just, right, and fair. Not successful in the sense of lots of money and fame and fortune and material possessions, but success in the sense that he is a, or his sons would experience God's best or what God intended for their life in all the different areas of their life, in their job, in their occupation, in their relationships, in their finances, and in their sexuality. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Fun topic today. About once a year, I do a talk called The Sex Talk. This is it, okay? It's not one that I look forward to. It's like, oh, I can't wait to give The Sex Talk. Uh, No, not so much. Uh, But it is one that we have to talk about because, let's face it, we all have to deal with sexuality because we're sexual beings. God created created us that way. And we're either going to handle it well or we're going to mishandle it. And if we mishandle it, there's a lot of consequences. If we do it well, there's also a lot of consequences in the positive of the positive nature. So I wanna talk to you today about sexuality. The title of my talk, or actually the first point in my talk, you can follow along in your digital notes or on your handout there. I wanna talk to you about using your sexuality in a God-honoring way. I'm gonna say some things today that I believe are not very popular. They don't, they go against the grain of what, you know, if you're a middle school student or a high school student, what your friends are saying, what they're watching, what they're doing, what, what you're learning at school or what you're learning from movies or videos or whatever. I'm going to say some things today that are going to go against what a lot of politicians and government leaders would say. I'm going to say some things today about sexuality that are just simply not popular or common practice. But I want you to hang with me. I want you to hang with me all the way to the end because here's what's true about this issue of sexuality. What is common practice, what is acceptable, 
you know, on the bus or in the classroom or at work or wherever you go when it, in regards to this issue of sexuality is often filled with pain, brokenness, and suffering. That's what's common and that's what's normal. Now, of course, when you watch the movies or you watch videos, they don't talk about the consequences of getting sexuality wrong. They leave that part out. They focus on the pleasure in the moment. And they let you deal with the consequences later. What is normal and acceptable on this issue of sexuality is filled with brokenness, pain, and suffering. Okay, so I want you to hang with me all the way to the end. I believe in our country today and across the globe today, sexual sin is a massive problem of biblical proportions. I am not there. I actually cannot exaggerate how big of an issue this is. You say, what are you talking about? Well, today in our world, let's just talk about sex trafficking just for a moment. Sex trafficking. What is sex trafficking? You're hearing more and more about this lately because some famous people have gotten in trouble on this issue. Sex trafficking is the manipulation, the coercion, the kidnapping of people and putting them into the forced sexual trade or forced sexual labor with people paying for sex. It's a $150 billion industry today, of which the United States is responsible for an enormous chunk of that money. People enslaved for sex. More, there's more slavery going on today than in the history of the whole world in this issue of sex trafficking. There is an incredible appetite for people to purchase sexual sex and sexual favors. We have a massive problem. Do you agree? If I just ended there, we'd say, oh my gosh, that's a huge problem. Do you agree? That's a huge problem. That ought to anger you, frustrate you. That ought to confuse you. You know, that's mind-blowing. 150 billion with a B? Kids getting kidnapped. A lot of what you see in pornography is actually people who have been sex trafficked, held against their will, performing as, quote, actors on the screen. Every single year, just in America, just in America, there are 20 million new sexually transmitted diseases. Not new diseases, newly transmitted diseases. 20 million every single year. Folks, there's only about 300 million of us in the country. At this rate, we're all going to have an STD in a couple of years. This is mind-blowing. Half of those 20 million STDs that are being transmitted are being transmitted by people 15 to 24 years old. Pay attention, middle school students and high school students. Is everybody saying, oh, just have sex. We're dating. Have sex. Everybody have sex. Do this. Have sex. Yeah. And then you get chlamydia and gonorrhea and maybe HIV. And it is an epidemic of biblical proportions going on. Let's talk about pornography just for a moment. This is mind-blowing. There's one website that in 2018, one pornographic website in 2018 reported they had 30 billion hits with a B. 30 billion in one single year. Every second in America, this is just America, every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography. Now, the stuff is free. And people are still paying for it. What does that tell you? Every second. It's a two, every year, America spends $2.84 billion on pornography alone. Every single day in this country, 116 people search child porn. Every single 
day. Do you agree that sexual sin is a massive problem? Yes or no? Yes or no? I mean, I can keep going with the quotes. It is a massive problem in our world today. And we, we're just so confused about this. Some people come up to me like, well, I'm a Christian. I watch porn. What's the problem? What's the problem with pornography? We use it in our marriage to kind of get things going. Like, what's the Everybody watches porn. I mean, you, porn is normal. Porn is, my friends watch it on the bus. My friends watch it in the locker room. My friends do this. We watch it at the office. People watch it. It's like porn has become this, 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 this everyday thing that just everybody does. Like, it's okay. But if you think about what pornography really is, what is it? It's, it's this selfish act of you watching someone or someone else watching someone else have sex. Think about that. You, we, what pornography does is it, it takes a human being and basically dehumanizes them and turns them into an object for your sexual gratification to masturbate to. That's what's happening when we watch porn. Is that what God intended when he created sexuality? Absolutely not. Jesus had something to say about this. Did you know that Jesus actually addressed pornography? I bet you didn't know that. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter five. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust, looks at a man with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, when we dehumanize people and for the purpose of sexual gratification, that is sexual sin. Let's talk about what sexual sin is so that we can have a target on the wall of what we're shooting for and have an understanding. And again, this isn't popular. This isn't common practice, common talk. You're not going to hear this taught in schools or taught somewhere else in the public arena. But this is what the scriptures talk about or explain when we talk about sexual sin. Sexual sin is any behavior that's outside of what God intended between a man and a woman inside the context of marriage. Now, that's a mouthful, so let's break it down. Any sexual behavior outside of what God intended. That's an important phrase, what God intended. Why? Because God is the author of sexuality. Like one, one day when he made the world and then he made humans, like he made the vagina and the penis. Can you say that in church? Like, oh my gosh, he said vagina and penis. What are we going to do? <laughs> like he made it. He made it. Thought it up. Thought up the shape, thought about the function, thought about how it all works together. And, and, and like, like sex is his. He's the author and creator of it, right? Now, in our world today, we don't really think about it that way. Well, sex is mine and sex, you know, we can kind of redefine it as we want to do it. And, you know, we, we can kind of do with it what we want to do because it's me, it's my body. And we're all about our bodies, right? Our body's my body. Don't tell me what to do with my body. And that's, that's the culture. That's why this is not popular talk. But sex is God's. If we want to know how to use sexuality, we got to check with the author. What's the intent of it? What's the design of it? What are we supposed to do with it? And you know what he says? Any sexual activity outside of the context of marriage between a husband and a wife falls into the category of sexual sin. So that is a boyfriend and girlfriend having sex before marriage. That is a woman having sex with a man who's not her husband. A man having sex with a woman who's not her husband. I mean, it's all kinds of adultery. That all falls into that category. Any type of pornography, because pornography is is debasing a human being for personal sexual sin, uh, masturbation, homosexuality. There's a lot of things that fall into that category of this de- outside, of the ca- outside of the definition of, of what, what sex is supposed to be. By, by, by the way, what is sex supposed to be? What, what did God intend? Well, three things. If you're taking notes, these aren't on the screen here. Three things. First thing God intended for, for sex inside the context of marriage is to communicate love, to express love. 
Which is why pornography is so wrong. It's, there's no love. There is zero love. It's all about self-gratification and pleasure. But, but, but sexuality in the context of marriage is about communicating love. Then there's also pleasure. God added that in there as a, as a benefit for two people who are in a committed relationship to one another to experience a tremendous amount of pleasure. And then there's this third function of children, <laughs> babies. That's how we make them, <laughs> okay? So we've got commitment, expressing love, there's pleasure, and there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's this family function to, to sexuality. And when we go outside of that, we mess things up, and it's so dangerous. Before we get into what Solomon has to say about sexuality, I wanna go first to the New Testament where, where Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and they were having this massive problem of dealing with sexuality because it was the whole town was, it was a lot like the culture today. Um, and so he's trying to help these Christians in Corinth to come out of sexual sin and live in purity. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter six. He says, run, run. It's a pretty simple command. Like, get out of there. Like Joseph, remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife? She's trying to sleep with him. She's trying to sleep with him. He's like, I'm out of here. He ran. Run from sexual sin. Why, Paul? Why would, he, why would they run? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Not gluttony, not drunkenness, not greed, not pride. No other sin affects you as sexual sin does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own, say with me, your own body, your own mind, your own physical. There's so much damage that we do to ourselves. There's the regret, there's the shame, there's the embarrassment, there's the, the, the sexually transmitted diseases, there's, there's the unplanned pregnancies, there's the, there's the anxiety. Did you know that, that people who regularly view pornography are 50% more, more high to have severe chronic depression? The, the, the psychological pain, the emotional pain, when someone gets caught in the adulterous affair, two married people, one is cheating, one is looking at porn. By the way, 50, 56% of divorces cite for the cause of divorce, obsessive pornographic use. When you dive into the details of why people get divorced and the, and the, the destructive force behind this, you find, you find children pay the highest price, the kids because now they've gotta go split time and live half their time in this house and half their time in this house and they've got this new strange stepdad and this new strange stepmom and why? Because daddy and mommy couldn't be faithful to each other. It's so incredibly destructive, which is why in Proverbs chapter six, verse 32, this is what Solomon says to his sons. The man who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys himself. I was trying to communicate the power of this to my students one day back when I was a youth pastor of, of why sexual sin is like no other sin. And this is the example I came up with. This is disgusting. It's not really that bad. It's just honey. But once you rub it all over your hands, it gets really bad. But I, was, I have a point here. And, and so I took some honey and I rubbed it all over my hands like this. And I was trying to, again, describe why sexual sin is different than any other sin. And, and so then what I did was I took my hands and I, with all the honey and I stuck them in birdseed, which I'm about to do right now. Gosh, okay. And I did this. I just rubbed it all over and got it everywhere in my hands and just rubbed it really good in there. And then I just kind of, I preached the rest of the sermon like this. 
And it was such a mess. And I said, guys, sexual sin is, is not like lying where it's like, hey, I'm sorry I did that. It's not like, you know, okay, I got a little greedy or, you know, I, I, I told, you know, I was a little bit angry or gluttonous, you know. That's come, it's, it comes and it goes and you can move on. But sexual sin is sticky. It gets into your psychology. It gets down into your soul because in the scriptures it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and they shall become one flesh. See, when you have sex with someone, it's not just a physical act. There's some type of spiritual, emotional connection every time you are sexual with someone. And it, it's, it's designed that way. It's, it's designed that way because inside the, con, the covenant of marriage, two people are committed, Right? And so there's supposed to be this one flesh, this unity that comes together between two people. But when you use it outside of the context of marriage, you have that connectivity, but then you separate and you break apart, and, and there's all this, this stuff that's left on you. You're the pain and the hurt and the remorse and the regret and the memories and the, and the things that you've seen and watched that you can't get out of your head, and it just, it's so destructive, and then you try to move on, and you try to get past it, and you're like, man, this stuff won't come off. God, I'm sorry. Like... And you find that it kind of lingers and it hangs out. It doesn't go away. Now, I'm thankful today for God's grace and his mercy that when a person really, truly wants to walk away and get free, they can. And they can get clean. And they can be washed. And sexual sin does heal. And it will go away. But as you can see, it doesn't go away that easy. It's really tough to get off. It might take years. It might take a lot of counseling. The pain and the regret goes deep, the hurt, the mistrust, the divorce, to trust another person again. To Eventually, thankfully, it does go away. I've lived that. Some of you have lived that. And so that's why Paul says, run. Run. It's unlike any other sin. Now, why did Paul write this way? I think he wrote this way because I think he knew what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 5, chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 6, and Proverbs chapter 7. Solomon takes three chapters to deal with this issue. It's that important. I'm just going to work with you together on chapter five today to work through five things that Solomon's going to basically get his sons around. This is for the guys and the girls too. But he's like, sons, come here, like around the campfire. I've got to communicate these ideas to you because if you don't get, use this skill of sexuality, if you don't use it in a God-honoring way, it's going, to, it's going to destroy your life. So he gets his sons together and he tells them five things. The first thing he says is you've got to see the pain clearly. Everything I was just saying, you've got to see the pain clearly. Listen, Proverbs chapter five, listen to what he says. For the lips of an immoral woman. Now, if you're a lady out there, remember, this is a father-to-a-son conversation, but, but it still applies to you. So, for the lips of, a, of an immoral man are sweet as honey. Now, what does that mean? Well, back in those days in Israel, honey from the honeycomb was the sweetest stuff. Like, there was no candy. There, was, there were no donuts. You know what I'm saying? So, so this is like the best-tasting stuff in Israel. Sexual sin looks incredible. It tastes incredible. And her mouth... His mouth is smoother than oil. Think of your, 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 your favorite shirt and how it feels on your skin. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it feels great. 
And sexual sin does feel great in the moment. But sons, pay attention. Come on, get close. Listen, verse four. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Son, it's like when you engage and then you have the pleasure and then the pleasure's over and you, you have to deal with the, it's like drinking poison. It'll destroy, you might have to deal with a jealous lover who comes in and wants to kill you. You might get some type, some type of disease. You will live with guilt the rest of your life. You can totally ruin your relationships. It's, destru- it's destructive to your own life. Why does he say double-edged sword? What's, the, what's, what's so bad, you know, powerful about a, uh, dangerous of a, about a double-edged sword? Well, back then they didn't have AK-47s, you know what I mean? So if they did, they would have said, son, it's like a woman with a... <laughs> She'll just take you... All they had were swords. Like, this was the most dangerous weapon back then. So he's like, it's like someone coming at you with a double-edged sword to chop your head off. Like, this is so dangerous. And he continues in verse 5. He says, son, listen, her feet go down to death and her steps lead straight to the grave. Dad, aren't you being a little dramatic? No, I'm not. Remember who Solomon is. Solomon is King David's son. What did King David do? The biggest mistake of his life. We talked about this a couple of months ago. He got tempted sexually, right, when he was on the roof that day, and he slept with who? With Bathsheba. He was lusting after her. She was a married woman, married to Uriah, calls her over. He sleeps with her. They have a baby. The, the, the baby dies. And, and basically, the sexual sin followed him for the rest of his life. He, one of his sons, Amnon, was in a lustful rage one day after his sister Tamar. So Amnon rapes Tamar. Well, then Absalom finds out that Amnon raped Tamar. So Absalom kills Amnon, murders him. And the whole... And Solomon was there watching the whole thing. So when he writes these words, he's not making it up like, oh man, sexual sin is really bad. Watch out, it'll get you. Nope, he's like, it ruined my whole family. It destroyed everything. It separated us. There was a murder. There was a death. There was a rape. Stay away from it, which is exactly his second point. He says, son, not only do you have to see the pain of this deal, but you've got to stay away from temptation. You got to get out of there. Now, you've probably heard me say or some other preachers say, stay away from sin. And that's a good idea. If, if, if sin would be jumping off this platform here, and if you're watching online, I don't know if you can see my feet or not. It, it, I haven't sinned yet, but jumping off the platform would be a sin. Most of us like to hang out right here. Well, I haven't sinned yet. I'm just window shopping. I, I just look at the menu, but I don't order. We do this with sexual sin. We flirt with it. And we say, temptation's not a sin. No, it's not a sin. But all it takes for you to plunge into sexual sin, if, if this is the game you're playing, is one little shove from behind. One little shove. One little strong wind that comes behind you. And well, what if, what if you backed up from the ledge of, well, I'm staying away from sin. And what if you backed up and and just stepped all the way back here. What I have found is the people who win on this issue of sexual sin are the people that stay away from temptation. They're not even tempted. Because if they're not even tempted, then they will never even sin. If they're not thinking about it, flirting with it, 
around it all the time, looking at it, then they're not going to sin. Listen, listen to what Solomon says. Sons, sons, come here, come on, come on. Gather around, come on, pay attention. Listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to tell you. Stay away from her. Stay away from him. Yes, ladies, he's cute. Yes, he's got a nice car. He also has an STD, okay? <laughs> Stay away. Stay away. Don't go near the door of her house. What is he saying? He's saying, back things up. Like, if you have to, you know, if you can't, I don't know where my phone is, it's somewhere. If you, if you can't, you know, handle Twitter without being tempted sexually, get rid of it. If you can't have a smartphone without being tempted, get rid of the smartphone. Go back to the flip phone. Remember the flip phones? <laughs> if you can't handle a, a, a laptop because you're too tempted to get on websites or whatever, get rid of the laptop. Oh, how am I supposed to, you know, you'll figure it out. Stay away from temptation. In other words, Solomon is saying, get radical on this deal. Jesus actually taught this concept of being radical when it comes to sexual sin. He said, so if, you're, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, if we took this teaching literally from Jesus, none of us would have eyes. We'd all be blind. So he's not telling us to literally pluck your eye out with some sort of screwdriver. He's not saying that. Then he, then he says something else. He says, it's better for you to lose one part of your body, hypothetically, <laughs> than for your whole body to go into hell. Jeez, oh, you, Jesus, you bring up hell? What's hell got to do with sexual sin? Is he teaching that if, if you engage in sexual sin, you're going to spend eternity in hell? Well, no, he's not literally teaching that. In the same way that he's not literally teaching to pluck your eye out or chop your hand off. What is, he, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, get radical on this deal. Do whatever you have to do to stay pure. It's that important. Protect your heart, protect your mind, protect your life. Son, stay away from the door of her house. Don't go up to her door and be like, well, I haven't sinned yet. No, stay away from her door, his door. Get far away. Okay, so he's saying, count the cost, see the pain, stay away. Then he gives us this third strategy to use our sexuality in a way to honor God, and that's to wait for the right time. Wait for the right time. Sex is God's. He created it to express love, to experience pleasure, and to create children, okay? That is the right way to use our sexuality. Anything outside of that, the context of marriage, it creates all kinds of problems. You know, how many of you love to sleep? You know, you sleep from 10 to five or 11 to six or 12, you know, whatever it is, 12 to seven, six, seven hours a night. I personally enjoy a power nap in addition to, you know, as much as, you know, as, much as I can. I think there's science behind that. It cleanses your brain, it heals your body. Like sleep is awesome, yes? But you take that same sleep and you put it in the classroom, sleep's gonna bite you, yes? I used to fall asleep at my eight o'clock class. It was US history in college. Man, it hurt my grades because I couldn't keep my eyes open during class. Like sleep in the wrong context will cost you. You go ahead and sleep at work, see how long you can keep that job, yes? Like when you take sleep, which is a wonderful thing, it's a blessing, it heals the body, it heals the mind, and you put it in the wrong situation, you are gonna get terrible consequences. You know what, sex is the same thing. 
You take sex and you, this beautiful gift that's supposed to be for between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage and the bedroom and the marriage bed and all that stuff, and you take it and you put it somewhere else, oh my goodness, you're gonna have all kinds of problems. Solomon says, wait for the right time. Listen to what he says, I love this. Very, very positive words here about sexuality. Sons, drink water from your own well, not somebody else's. Share your love with your wife, not somebody else's. Your husband, not somebody else's. Listen, he continues. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anybody? Don't, don't treat it that way. This is a special, sacred thing for you and your husband, for you and your wife. Listen, he says this. You should never, you should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Man, this is a command that, that I enjoy obeying. <laughs> My wife and I take this seriously. I can't even read you the next couple of verses, verse 18 and 19. It's almost a little bit too scandalous in church. He starts talking about body parts and it's like, oh, well, okay. But, 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 but in the context of marriage, God says, go after it. Is anybody else excited about that? So we, like my wife and I, we enjoy this command. We obey this command on a regular basis, amen? <laughs> Is that amen? I mean, I know she's here today and that's kind of embarrassing, but my kids are here too and they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's supposed to be that way. Like sex is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It, it communi- I mean, we're not making babies anymore, but we're communicating love and experiencing pleasure. So she says, son, wait for the right time. This is a good thing in the right place. And then number four, he goes back to this, this whole theme of warning them. He says, and also remember, remember that no sin is secret. If you wanna use your sexuality to honor God, you gotta remember there's no such thing as a private moment. Proverbs chapter five, verse 21, he says, the Lord sees clearly what a man does. Pay attention, son. There's no such thing as a private moment. Examining everyone, every one of your paths. This goes back to week one. Now, if you don't fear God, what does fear God mean? It means you have a deep respect and honor for God that chooses you to shun evil and be drawn into the good. If you don't fear God, then, then the knowledge that God is watching your every move is not gonna be motivating for you to walk away from pornography, to walk away from adultery, hooking up on Tinder, or whatever the sexual sin is in your life. But if you fear him and you wanna please him and you wanna honor him, the reality that he is watching every single step you take, he's watching every website you get on, he's watching every conversation that you have, that is incredibly motivating if you're trying to honor him with your life. And Solomon's saying this will drive you to shun evil and be drawn into the good son. The Lord is with you at all times. And then he closes his little fireside chat here with this fifth idea, which is remember, remember one more thing as we close this conversation, you always reap what you sow. Son, remember, you always reap, if you plant this seed, you're gonna get this crop. You put corn seed in, you're gonna get corn. You put bean seed in, you're gonna get beans. You plant an apple tree, you're gonna get an apple, apples on that tree. Always remember that you harvest what you plant. Listen to what he says in verse 22. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Literally. It's like you get involved, you start watching a little bit of porn, you start doing a little, dabbling in a little bit of sin, you start having sex, and you start wrapping yourself up slowly. And then you do a little bit more, and then you get a little bit more involved, and all of a sudden, you are completely held captive by the cords of your sin. Listen to the next verse. 
He will die for a lack of self-control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. What strong words. What is he talking about? He's talking about addiction. 200,000 Americans. I think the number's higher, but what the studies show is that 200,000 Americans are addicted to pornography. Now, what does that mean? That means they spend 11 to 12 hours a week watching porn. I think the numbers are higher than that, but that's what the studies show right now. I'm sure that there's a bunch of people out there that are like, man, I hate it. Oh, I hate every time I do it. I feel so bad. I feel so guilty. I got to hide. I got to wake up in the middle of the night so my wife doesn't see or my husband doesn't see. I got to hide it. I got I to gotta have codes on my phone. I got to have privacy. I gotta, it's, all, it's all so embarrassing. I would love to get free, but the whole thing is just like now I, I can't help it. I get this urge and then I look and then I go and I do and I hook up and I do this. And what happened? What happened? Well, here's what happened. You were free to choose what you wanted to do because this is a free country. Now, in China, pornography is illegal, but in America, it's not. You are free to browse the internet. You are free to hook up. You will not go to jail for cheating on your husband. You will not go to jail for cheating on your spouse or your boyfriend or whoever. You will not go to jail for viewing pornography. You are free in this country in most sexual sin. Now, if you try to sex traffic or do something like that or get with a child, you'll go to jail. But most sexual sin is free. You're free. You're free to choose. But then God comes along and I come along and someone like me just busts the bubble open and says, but you will lose your freedom. I promise you. You are free to choose, but you will lose your, I wanna get out of this. I wanna stop watching porn. I need, but I can't because I'm just, I get an urge and I go do it and I just can't control myself. That's what happens. Son, you always, I can't even get out of this myself right now. You always reap what you sow. And so when I read this stuff and then I go back and I, I think about my own life and the people I've counseled and it's just, it's so clear. This is why the scriptures are so, I guess, over the top or, or sounding a drum like, run! The person who does this is a complete fool. The person who does this is like drinking poison. The person who does this is like, it's like going down to the grave. It's like they can, the scriptures cannot use any more graphic language to warn you and I against sexual sin. I don't know if this has helped you today. It's helped me. This is kind of a hard talk to give. It's not one I want to give. It's one, it's one we have to talk about because it's a massive, massive problem in our lives. What if you got it right? What if you got it right? Now, as your pastor, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not. I'm a man, just like every other man, but I can tell you I have this thing called victory. I'm not held or trapped in a cycle of sexual sin. And here's what I can tell you, just, just from my own personal experience. What if you got free? What if you got clean? When I was in high school, this got all, it got all sideways for me because sexuality for me was, also, was, also, was selfish. I was a taker. What is this? this is pleasurable to me. This is... Which, when you read the scriptures, it's completely the opposite. It's like, it's like supposed to be this, this gift, this how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I give to you? 
And so I was like, man, oh, this is so, I got saved when I was 17, I gave my life to Christ, and then he starts to invade this area, and he starts to invade this area. When I got to liberty, he started to invade this area of sexuality and start to show me what, what true biblical sexuality looks like. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. So I made a commitment to not date anybody for two years. And I was like 19, 18, 19 years old, which is just crazy because there's all these pretty girls at Liberty. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe that I've done, I've done this. But I had to because I had to learn. I had to learn how to be free. I had to learn to, be, I had to, learn to come out of sexual sin. And, 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 and what does that mean? And what does that look like before I could ever engage in a serious relationship with someone? And, I, I, and it was a slow process, as I mentioned earlier. Like, it just, it doesn't come off right away. But when you stay with it and you, you retrain your mind and you see women differently, you see men differently and you see people differently and you understand what the purpose of sex is and it slowly starts to come off. And then here's what I experience. And again, this is just me. A clean conscience. I don't know if there's anything better than a clean conscience. No more shame. No more guilt. No more hiding. No more secrecy, gone. No more concern about someone got pregnant. No more concern about a sexually transmitted disease. All that anxiety and all that nervousness, gone, gone. Peace of mind, joy in my heart. I started to experience, I started to experience an intimacy with God I didn't even know was possible because there was nothing between him and I. I didn't have this lingering sin, but it's like every time you go to church, it's like, you know, I mean, you're awesome and all, but I'm a complete idiot. So I'm just not, I'm just gonna stand here. All of a sudden I started to raise my hands in worship. It's like, I know a lot of us struggle to do that because you maybe think it's over the top, but I can't help it because it goes back to this time in my life where God showed me grace and he brought me out of this sin. And, and I'm like, hands up, I love you, you're awesome. I started to truly worship God for the first time in my life. Didn't have this guilt and shame in my life. It was beautiful. I'm like, give me more of that. Is it perfect? Was it excellent? No, it was a bumpy ride all the way along. And some days it still is. But man, there is an incredible life out there for you if you would make a decision to say, oh, you know what, I'm done with sexual sin. I'm, done. I'm, I'm gonna get the help I need. I'm gonna talk to somebody. I'm gonna reach out. I'm so sick and tired of this. I feel gross. I feel, I feel uh, ashamed of myself. I'm not doing it anymore. You can step out, because that's called grace. In fact, God is here today inviting you out through my voice. Come out, step out of that into the light, into something beautiful, into something good, into something right. Will you step out? I'm gonna pray for you right now. And then we're gonna worship. And maybe after this prayer, you'll worship different for the first time. Father, I know that right now there's middle school students and high school students that have just kind of gone along with everybody else is doing it, watching porn, doing this, doing that, having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and they're being swept along. I pray for that middle school student, that high school student, that they would make a choice today to step out 
into purity. God, I pray for that young 20-something, 30-something who has a relationship and, and, and it's gotten serious and now they're having sex, but they're not married. And God, I, I, it's just normal. It's just normal to them. Everyone else is doing it. Help them to see there's something better. Help them to step out into sexual purity. I pray for that young person who's single and lonely and, and, and their sexuality has become so strong in their life that they're, they're choosing to look at pornography as a release. I pray that you would use these words today to lead them to something different, to step out of that. I pray for that 40-something, 45-year-old, 50-year-old who's stepping out on her husband. That husband who's stepping out on his wife to find something outside of their marriage to satisfy. God, I pray that you would lead that person into freedom to turn from that sexual sin. God, I pray for the seniors out there who just have been around so long and are tired of all the rules and they're just doing whatever they wanna do sexually. God, will you lead them into truth? Will you lead them into sexual purity? We all come to you broken on this issue. We're so thankful for your grace. Meet us where we are. Lead us into purity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we leave, I just, I don't know if you can see it at our other campuses uh, or even here at Greenwood or online, but what I'm standing in here is, is quite a mess. There's, there's honey all over the place, water, there's bird seed, it's on my shoes. Um, and, and this is what sexual sin does to our life. You know, it, it makes a mess out of things. Relationships, lose trust, hurts our heart, hurts our mind. But I'm so glad that in the middle of our mess, God reaches down with grace, with love. And he says, I still love you. Is that amazing? Is that amazing to anybody? It's absolutely amazing. Because when I made that decision to put my faith in Christ, I couldn't have been, in my opinion, more of a mess. I mean, just completely self-absorbed person, disrespectful to my mom, you know, a taker, not a giver. And God says, I know, I know, I know, I made you. I know exactly how you are. I know the mess that you're in. I know, I, and, I, and I still love you. And here's, here's the way Paul wrote about it. He said that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, wow. And when, when I realized that I didn't have to get cleaned up in order for God to love me, I just... just overwhelmed but he would take me just as I am and you know what he says that to you today if you're in a mess if you've got an addiction if you've got whatever he says I know I know and I love you right where you are and I'm gonna pull you out if you trust me Christ died on a cross for our sins to, to pull us out of our mess to clean us up will you trust him today if you if you've never done so before 
Will you put your faith in him? As I did many years ago. Maybe you will. Maybe today's the day. Here's an opportunity. I'm gonna say a little prayer. You can take this prayer and turn it into your own little prayer to God. And let him reach down into your mess and begin cleaning you up and pulling you out. Will you pray with me? Just take these words, make them your own. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. I'm a mess right now and I need you. I reach out to you in faith. Please cleanse me. Please wash me of my sin. Give me a brand new heart, a brand new start. Help me to live for you, to please you, to love you. Pick me up out of the mess. Help me to, to live purely for your honor and glory. I believe in you. I trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love for you to text the word SAVE to 65248. should be on the screens there because we want to send you a box, a saved box. Inside this box, there is a Bible. There is a cup, a coffee cup to say congratulations and some information on how to get started uh, at the church. And so the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you did that today, if you just prayed that prayer, text the word SAVE to 65248. At this time, I'm going to hand things off to all of our local teams and they will dismiss you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.